Chris and Peter. Good morning, my love. Good morning, my love. How'd you sleep last night? Pretty well. Pretty well, really. Your doms didn't keep you up? I'm really sore from our second workout with personal training. Different muscle groups are sore this morning. But I slept well. I was getting out of bed phys physically, like ma maneuvering myself out of bed and walking around. That's painful. Dear listener, you should have seen her try to stand up from her chair. She's like kind of in a, uh, a little bit below parallel squat when she's trying to stand up because it's kind of a bucket seat chair. But watching this woman persevere, power <laughs> through, really like in real time, I saw grit develop. It was inspiring. Thanks, babe. I'm ready to have a great fucking day now. Me too. Nice. Um, what else? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about how excited I am that this personal training is going to make your butt get bigger. Bigger and stronger. But I'm actually really excited for what it's going to do for my legs. Mm -hmm. Like, to physically feel stronger. Um, and my arms... And potentially my my back. She's really big on back work. Backs are important. Um, so my arms and my back, just being able to lift and carry heavier things. Yeah. Um, and f like, I can already like carry things that are heavier than I think I can, which I figured out when we were moving, because mm -hmm. we just moved ourselves, just the two of us. Mm -hmm. And being able to like lift couches and mattresses and heavy boxes, I figured out. You know, I I, I always knew I could lift things if I needed to. But it's a struggle, mm -hmm. and just that feeling of getting stronger and being able to lift heavier things will be nice. And also, like, my lower half is, I'm, like, very bottom-heavy as a person, and, like, strengthening my legs and, like, butt area so that I feel stronger in my lower half and I'm, like, able to do more squats or lunge, like, walking lunges. Like, I'm ready for that exercise to feel easier because my first day doing walking lunges was brutal. I'm not good at them, and so I just want to, I, I basically am just excited to feel my, get, I can't talk, I'm excited to feel my body get stronger. Yeah, and I'm, I'm since I'm pretty sure everyone who listens to this is people that we know, I don't need to mention that you ha already have a 50-inch ass. Thanks, babe. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's like early 2000s rap music video background dancer level ass. Yep. You would get paid like $1,000 a day to just be on set, just shaking it. No, thank you. Have you ever thought of being a stripper? Yes. How did that thought go? I think I'd get too tired. <laughs> I literally thought about it when I lived in Lawrence, because I love strip clubs. Like, uh -huh. I absolutely love strip clubs. Right. I think they're so fun. I've been going since I was like 17. I remember being in Vegas when I was 17 and my friend, one of my best friends growing up was turning 18. So we went to Vegas with her family for, uh, like her mom and her aunt who were really cool, um, took us to Vegas and going to my first strip club, I, like we snuck me in and it was incredible. But, um, when I lived in Lawrence, I would go with my friends and, um, I had a friend who was a dancer as well and, um, she would let me come to her club and like they had a back private room where there weren't any customers you know and let me play on the pole with her and I literally 
thought it was so fun and cool that she was a dancer, and I was like, I, I, I could probably try that, but I have no, like, I had no, what, what's that called? Like, endurance. Endurance or stamina, like, with, like, cardio that the dancing would require for, like, could could you dance? Hours. Could you dance sexily for one radio edit length song? Not with the ath- athleticism that strippers do. Yeah. Like actually using the pole. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still not strong enough. Like I'm too bottom heavy to like elevate myself on the pole. Mm-hmm. But I could just dance in circles around it. <laughs> if you tried to elevate yourself regularly, your arms would become so strong because you're lifting so much ass. Maybe I try again after some some months of personal training. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you, right now, do you think that you could take your Auntie Terry in an arm wrestling match? No. My Auntie Terry has really strong arms. Auntie Terry has been doing, like, physical work her entire life, and I'm pretty sure she'd kick my ass in an arm wrestling contest. Yeah. She's thick. Shout out, Auntie Terry. Need to learn to cook greens from you. She's an excellent cook. She's like our family cook. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a, uh, a good transition into today's topic, which is uh, just a few short words on our experience being in a biracial relationship. Uh, do you want to start us off? What are, what, what are your thoughts on being with a, the white man? <laughs> the white man, as if you represent all white men? <clears throat> I was recently told that we're a monolith. Okay. So I'm just going with Who it. Who told you that? Uh, I would call this person a race reductionist. Uh-huh. Uh, there was somebody that I went out and, like, went on a date with and got drinks and small plates with, and then about midway through realized that they were really angry at the idea of me, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind Hold of Hold like, on. Can we make that a yeah. whole episode? Oh, we will at some point, yeah. We'll, we'll recount the, uh, the date with the race reductionist. It was epic. Like, getting the recap of that the next day was hilarious. I was fucked up. I'm, I'm glad we, we were... We were fucked up over that. We we would have recorded a day after, like, triage episode, and it would have been so raw. You asked seen... me to therapize you. I was like, I was like, am I evil? Am I evil? Am I the, the bad guy? All of my clothes have skulls on them. Am I the bad guy? Right. Um, okay, to answer your question, honestly, this is probably going to sound weird, but I don't think much of it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, my very first boyfriend that I dated for eight years, starting in middle school and going into college, was white, and so that was, like, my earliest experiences, and, like, since preschool, I've been going to predominantly white schools, um, and so it was normal to me to have my first boyfriend be white. Um, in college, I dated, like, three different like men of color um but and then when I like had my time as that that I was single I dated people of all races like not dated but slept with and just casually saw people of all races um and so for me to date you and have you be white doesn't really like register in my brain as like a big deal I don't know what about for you I'm, I'm curious what your experience of it is like had you dated a person of color before me? Like, was that different or weird for you? Uh, had not, well, so let's see. Had not dated a person of color before you. Had slept with a person of color before you. Um, 
What race were they? Well, I mean, if you're if you're not well, one black woman, but then like if you count Hispanic women, which you should, I guess it's been more than that before you. But okay, yeah. So my experience with it is that I kind of don't really think about it most of the time either. Like it doesn't doesn't really even cross my mind mm-hmm. for the most part, except for when we're like out places. Mm-hmm. You know, certain certain places that we've been, I've had to be more aware, or I've bit become over time more aware. Because like I didn't, I used to kind of be oblivious to things, but then like I noticed sometimes we would get like, like my my privilege would not be honored in certain contexts. Like we were out at a restaurant, and like I was used to a certain kind of service. I would like I after we started dating, I I noticed more often that wait staff would be like not as uh i don't know accommodating as i was used to really because like white male privilege is such a fucking great thing like it's right. the shit well as something that like i've never experienced like i <clears throat> i did not mm-hmm. i don't have that experience so i don't know I, I, the, the i think the closest analogy that i can come up with is like microaggressions like i'd never experienced Mm-hmm. stuff like that before and I didn't know what it was at first I was just like why is this person being such a bitch mm-hmm. you know or like why like what the fuck did like I don't know I guess they must have like woke up on the wrong side of it it's like every like like being black in a white world is like everybody woke up on the wrong side of the bed mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that that was just kind of the default mm-hmm. through experience until we were in dating situations right and so that was a change um, I don't know. I, that's like kind of like, I, I guess the most blatant, you know, version of those. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But like, I had dated someone who was like, uh, like second generation, like immigrant, like their, their parents immigrated from somewhere else. Uh-huh. Um, so like navigating like a culturally different family while still incredibly difficult. I'm glad it wasn't my first rodeo per right. se. Um, so, but that was like more of like a, like a, like a Middle Eastern, like, like, you know, Western Asia kind of situation. Yeah. Um, Do you remember that time we were walking down the street in Lawrence and that woman? Oh yeah. That woman was like, I want to touch your hair. And she raised her arms. She raised her arms. And chased I, me. Oh yeah. I like, I like went to go like step in front of her. Like what the fuck is going on? You like, stepped you, in front of me. Yeah. To protect me from her. Yeah. But she wanted to touch my hair, which I think that day was out in the Afro. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing, woman? Like, have some... Like, who taught you to interact with other human beings? Like, that would be weird, like, if you saw a ginger that had big hair, and you were like, ah, let me touch your hair! Like, you'd still be a fucking weirdo. Like, ugh. That yeah, one was she was weird. an older woman. An older white woman. She was probably drunk, right? You gotta yeah. say, she was probably pretty shit-faced. Because we were, like, on the main drag of the downtown area of the college town that we... Uh, lived in for a while yeah that was an interesting experience yeah so it kind of scared me but yeah. one thing i will say that like for you being white and me being black like the one thing that i always appreciate is you never minimize or ignore the fact that i'm black like you you said you don't think of it often but it's small things that you do that make me feel seen like um appreciating and acknowledging my hair when it's like just natural and out and like the things I have to do to upkeep it 
and you always like appreciate like and seem to find it beautiful and that's something I've always like really like just had a lot of gratitude for mm-hmm. well you make it easy to appreciate thank you yeah, that's right sexy bitch <laughs> um what would you what would you say for you like have have there been any challenges or interesting aspects of navigating my family's culture well, like when you visit my family you know i do want to talk about that but i actually just remembered something else that i want to talk about uh-huh <coughs> so uh my family obviously everyone's white like if you go back far enough my grandfather is from hawaii so he's you know somewhat polynesian i guess i don't know i'm not 100 sure about our family history so I don't know, he might have just been, like, descendants of some Portuguese person that colonized, you know, down there or something along those lines. But anyway, um, like, so casual racism in my household was a thing that was prevalent when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Just, like, throwing around the N-word and, um, you know, talking about, like, stuff I will not say out loud these days, mm-hmm. but I definitely said these things when I was younger because everybody around me, like my uncles and everybody were, were all saying these things. Mm-hmm. And when I look back on it now, it's like horrifying that it was so casual. And then I remember, you know, when we, I think it was during the first year that we were living with my mom, I, I think my dad came over to like watch a, a sporting event of some kind and he, like, just casually let the N-word slip. And I, like, I looked at him. I, like, I turned the TV off. And I, I was like, look me in the eyes. Look me in the eyes right now. Did you hear what you just said? And he acknowledged it. And I was like, that's the last time that you say that in front of me. Because if you ever do again, I'm going to break your fucking jaw. I was like, you're 65-year-old man now. I'm in the prime of my life. I will fucking kill you. Your grandchildren are going to be black, you ignorant racist. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Mm-hmm. What do you think he said? Nothing. Okay. I actually remember that day. Yeah. How did that feel for you? Kind of empowering, but also shitty at the same time. Like shitty that you had to? Like, man, I mean, it's just like the, all the other shit with my dad. It's like, I wish that you were some kind of, like, warrior poet philosopher king. You know, I wish that I was raised by somebody who had wisdom. But I wasn't. I was raised by some fucking idiot who probably didn't even want to have kids in the first place. Just, like, fucking, like, I don't know. Cultural factors, societal factors aside, fuck that guy. Should have done a better job. Didn't do a better job. I'm glad he's getting what he's getting now. Enjoy working at Walmart and driving Uber, you piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I feel about it. Like, here's the thing. A part of me is like, you will always be white trash because you came from white trash. I know that my family that hears that, if they ever listen to this, will be like, we weren't white trash. All right, guys, look in the fucking mirror. You bunch of fucking alcoholic, pillhead fucking wife beaten like what do you what did i just describe other than being in a fucking trailer park hey name things that are classy if you're rich but trashy if you're poor all right fuck you guys if you ever hear this that's what i have to say to that 
What was your family's experience of first knowing that you were dating someone who was black? Like, wasn't it that you showed them a... I didn't meet them at first. Because mm-hmm. um, we had just started seeing each other. Mm-hmm. Didn't you show them a picture of me? Yeah, but nobody said anything. Nobody, no, like, nobody any, said anything? No, nobody... Because, like... I, like we've talked about how I'm kind of like a, a, a like a, a confrontational figure, and kind family. of an outlier in your and family. kind of like an outlier because like they'll let shit happen, you know. Like sh- sh- some some serious like conflict will go down, right? And they almost never unpack it. They never process it. They never like really have it out in like a direct way, except for me. And I like I don't know. I'll call things and I'll be like, "That's fucked up. Here's why it's fucked up." And then they'll come back at me with like, well, here are my feelings on the matter. And I'm like, that doesn't have any bearing on the material reality of the thing that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then they hate that. They fucking hate that I don't honor their feelings because that's how they've won every argument. It's just whoever had the bigger feelings won the argument. And I'm like, no, 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 whatever we're talking about right now, what is actually going on? Okay. What is the reality of the, the situation and let's be specific about it because if we're just going to fly off the handle and whoever can like have the hottest iron wins, okay, first off, I'm going to have a hotter iron because I grew up with all of you. You raised this thing. If I got one thing, it's the ability to out-yell someone. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I'm not going to do that, even though I could, because I'm smarter than you and we're talking about whatever, insert whatever we're talking about at that moment. That is the big differentiator between me and them, and they fucking hate it. Like, I was talking to my uncle recently, and he had some feelings about some stuff going on with my mom. And so I, I outlined the situation to him, and he, he agreed with me on everything. And I said, well, it seems like the big issue here is money then. I'm really excited that you're stepping up and you're going to write a check and, you know, help her out. He flew off the fucking handle at that. The moment you mention taking responsibility in a material way for the things that you're talking about, when rubber hits the road, that's when a grown man gets scared. Yeah. Sorry, that's not me. I don't fear shit like that. Because I'm the one working out the calculation. You're the one feeling things. Right. Right. So So you don't... So so they didn't say shit. So even though your family kind of grew up in a racist environment, you don't think they thought anything of you dating well, a black I'm person? Sure they've, I'm sure that people have said things behind closed doors. Gotcha. Now, do any of them have the guts, the balls, to say it to my face? Absolutely fucking not. First off, I don't care if I get an inheritance from anybody. I expect, I already expect that I'm not going to. They're going to give it to their, like, wealthy, like, my wealthy second cousins. Right. Like that it, wealth just stays in wealth and they don't want to give the poor white trash branch of the family anything that they earned, right? God only helps those who help themselves, right? They help themselves. My parents didn't help themselves. That's why they live in squalor and some of the, that's why my parents fucking live in squalor and my aunts or and my uncles go to fucking country clubs and live in Hawaii. Right? Because they help themselves so God helped them. My parents didn't help themselves so they live in shit, right? That's a just world. I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy here. Like, they're all fucked up. Okay. So, yeah, no, none of them would ever say it to my face. Because, first off, the, the thing that they hold over people, money and shit like that, I don't fucking care about it. They're all in their 60s and, like, going on 70s now. So what are they going to do to me physically? Nothing. Like, they know that I'm confrontational and that I will yell at them. And here's the thing. I think that they're actually scared that they know that they're wrong from a logical and moral perspective. 
And when I start to do things like unpack and process shit that they're just like not equipped or experienced with, that's fucked up. And you know what, what's really gratifying is like, it's just because I'm in a relationship with you and we talk about stuff all the time and you're a fucking therapist and I've gone to a shit ton of therapy. So I'm basically just taking things that I've done in the therapy room and just going, Hey, you guys ever thought about this before? And then they shit themselves. They just like, like fucking my uncle the other day when I, when I set that whole thing up and then I, I sprung the, the, the crux of the material reality on him and he freaked the fuck out. Right. That's oh Fuck those people. So no, none of them would ever say it to my face. Gotcha. So tell me more than, um, going back a little bit, your experience of my family being like Kenyan and Native American, like, Mm -hmm. um, as a white person, were, were there any like challenges or things that surprised you when navigating my family? Yeah. Well, so first off, like, I don't know that I've really experienced the Native American aspects of your family so much. Well, yeah, my dad passed away before right. you, we were before you could ever meet right. him. Right, and you guys are not like like super close to your family in Oklahoma. Right, we are not close to that. I'm not close to that side of the family. Yeah, your brother and sister are though, right? They are in contact with them, but mm-hmm. um, we didn't like visit a lot or um, mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah. But that side of my family is also kind of a hot mess. So. So my mom kind of kept us separate Mm -hmm. so being that i really only encountered the african side i mean aside from your siblings who are you know 100 percent american um well first generation yeah first generation so uh i guess like the african side of it i don't know your mom is the the hub of all of that right and she's never been anything other than just like the kindest sweetest woman like iconic timeless like she's gonna live to be a hundred and look like she does now you know, yeah. um, so until like suddenly in the last couple of years, she looks like Shosho. Um, Shosho being my grandmother. Yeah, and that was supposed to be a joke. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess like the African Union events are the first things that come to mind. Yeah. So just seeing, you know, just being around, being one of like a handful of white people in a crowd of literally hundreds of people from the African diaspora. Diaspora, yeah. Uh, that was, that, those have been really interesting times. Just talking with people, you know, like the way of communicating is different. Like the way of structuring sentences and, and like delivering punchlines and like even sometimes like the, the primary meaning of a thing can be fun to like navigate. Um, but everybody's just been like very welcoming, kind, very formal for the most part, except for your, like, you know, your direct family. How, um, how is it navigating for you how my family experiences time differently than, like, white Americans tend to? Yeah, so my mom is, you know, classic five minutes early, if not more, to every appointment she's ever had, right? Mm -hmm. And I got the same trait, so I, I'm never late, you know, or else I used to never be late until I met you. (laughs) And when I go to your family's home, I just have to acknowledge that time does not exist. You know, we, you can say, oh yeah, we're going to eat dinner at seven. And then at 10 PM dinner's on the stove and it's cooking, but everybody's like dancing in the living room, listening to Johnny. 
Kenny Kenyan music. Kenyan music. That the Where's Johnny song, right? We'll just be on. But like no, nah, it's been like it's like three hours after we said we were gonna eat and like nobody's really super serious about anything. And now I've learned like if I'm if I ever feel like a little bit hungry, I need to take care of it on my own at some point because it's just not reliable. Um yeah, time so, just does not exist. To provide context, my mom has always told me, like, in Kenya, like, a lot of, like, historically, I'm not saying now, like, Kenya's very modernized right now, um, but historic, and westernized. I mean, Kenya was like called... like the, the lack of reliability in public transportation. Well, I, what I was trying to say is Kenya was colonized by the British, and just with globaliz- globalization, it's fairly westernized and modernized. However, historically... Like, when my mom grew up, like, in the village, um, a lot of people didn't have clocks or watches, mm-hmm. and you kind of, like, just... You gauged, estimated. You estimated yeah. time just based on, like, the, the sun, sun and mm-hmm. just what's going on. And um, historically, culturally, the, the norm is, like, if you tell someone, I'm going to come to your house this day you don't necessarily give a time you might say in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and you kind of show up when you show up and if the custom is if you're walking to their home because again historically most people in the village didn't have cars so you're walking to one another's homes and if someone that you know you see them on the road you're expected to stop and talk to them and have a conversation for as long as they Mm. they want to have a conversation it doesn't matter that you have somewhere to be and your hosts are not expecting you at to be prompt. And so you may stop several times and talk to several different people, maybe even stop in someone else's house. But if you stop in someone else's house, the cultural norm is to have a cup of tea with them and then mm-hmm. to provide you with some food. Mm-hmm. So you may say, oh, I'll be there in the early afternoon and you may show up to the, the person that you're going to's house in the early evening and no one thinks anything of it and like you you stay for a long time you have you have tea multiple times you may eat once or twice and then you head back home and who knows what time it would be by the time you get home and so that's how my mom grew up so like when she moved to the states and had us kids like we as children relate to like everything like, my friends in um, grade school, there was a joke that um, if ever if someone had a birthday party and they were sending out invitations, they would put, you know, Liz Davis's invitation, they would write an hour or 30 minutes earlier than everybody else's so that I would be on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally had my friends start doing that because I was late to so many birthday parties. And so... Like, my sense of time when I met Peter was really different than a lot of, like, historically white, like, people in America. And I was not usually early to things. I was usually, like, five to ten minutes late. And I actually learned that from you, Peter, how to be prompt and Mm -hmm. how to be early. And that the custom here is, like, to respect people's time because there's that concept of, like, time is money or time is worth something. Mm -hmm. And so... um. Actually, over the last, like, eight years or whatever we've been together, I now, um, it's been several years now, but I'm, like, 5, 10, if not 15 minutes early to, like, everywhere I go. Yeah. And I don't remember the last time I was really late for something other than in Bora Bora. 
Um, Which, you know, who cares? We were on vacation. Like, I wasn't feeling pressed um, for time. But, um, like, I'm 30 minutes early to work every day. Like, I'm early to appointments. I get frustrated if my, whoever, like, the doctor, if I have the appointment, I'm frustrated if they're late. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've actually taught me how to be more respectful of time. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because when I do go home and time is so flexible at my mom's house... It's, it, I notice it now. Like, it doesn't really bother me. It's just something that, like, I notice in a way that I didn't notice before we started dating, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, if I keep asking my family, what time are we going to do this? What time are we going to do that? And I won't get a straight answer. Uh-huh. And I get frustrated. And I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's just how we do things. Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I guess I've changed a little bit through oh, being with you. I like it. This is great. I love being early. Oof. Nothing better. Right? So, anything else you want to talk about in regards to being in a biracial relationship? Um, no, other than I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate all the efforts you've made to learn and understand my culture and heritage. Like, you're underselling how, how you've made a point to, like, kind of like stay curious around my family's cult Kenyan culture and like learn and you know some Swahili words like better than I do and I don't know. Bariyakazi Tusker. You wanna share what that means? Means after work, Tusker. It's Kenya's uh beer. Yeah. Beer of choice. Yeah. Tusker. Tusker. So after my, work you have a Tusker. My mom went to Kenya and brought Peter back a she always brings him back a T shirt. So you have what a Kenyan soccer sh- like style jersey shirt? Uh, yeah, a, a Kenyan national team. What is it, the Harambe Stars? Yeah. Uh, so I got one of those, and then I got a Tusker tank top that's gray, and I got a Tusker T-shirt that's red, and the T-shirt on the back of it it says Bariyakazi. Yeah. And then the proper response for that is uh, Missouri, which is like good or like yes or like it's kind of like an affirmative. Yeah. How I've read so. Yeah. The the idea here now is uh, before the next family event to uh, learn a few phrases in Kikuyu, uh, and which is like Liz's family's, uh, like, what would you say, tribal language? Yeah. Yeah. And so learn a few phrases in that, like bust them out and try to impress the aunties. Yep. Auntie impressor over here. I would definitely say you've been embraced by my family very much as like one of us. Mm-hmm. Like we all wear bracelets on our arms that have that are beaded and have the Kenyan flag on them. And I think it was within two years of us dating. Like my mom had gone to Kenya and she brought back a bracelet for you. Mm-hmm. And her most recent trip to Kenya, she brought. Oh no, her last, her first to last trip to Kenya, she brought you back some jewelry, like a necklace that mm-hmm. you wore until it broke. Yep. And then her most recent trip to Kenya, I think, was last year. She brought you back another necklace to replace it. Um, the new necklace is just a big gold pendant that's just the continent of Africa. Kind of, kind of hard for me to wear that uh, just out in the world. Why? Okay, so would it look weird if there was a tall, lanky, bearded white guy with a big Africa on his chest in gold? Well, I'd ask questions. I'd be like, what's up? Well, because you wear the Kenyan bracelet and you do get inquiries about it, don't you? Yeah, I guess most of the time I just say like, oh yeah, my my mother-in-law is from Kenya. Yeah. 
So I feel like it'd be no different. I think people would ask you questions about it. Again, that white male privilege, I don't think anyone's going to, like, say anything derogatory towards you. Yes, make way for me and my majesty, or else I'll colonize you. Right. Mm -hmm. That's always the implicit threat. <laughs> may suddenly colonize. Fair.